0: Well, you guys ready for the word this morning? Yeah. Praise God. Like he said, we are starting a four-week season. A oh, season. A season, yeah. Four-week series on what the Bible says about healing. And this is a great opportunity to make sure that you're inviting your friends, family, co-workers, your enemies, everybody that might need healing. Just go ahead and invite them to church. And this is a, this is a great opportunity for one that we can continue to share the gospel with them. But also the truth is, is that many people need healing in their life. People are struggling. They're, they're dealing with stuff. And, and God has made provision for them. And just like if you won the lottery, you wouldn't bury it in the jar in the backyard and not tell anybody about it. Let's tell people about what we have. Let's tell people about this treasure that we have. Amen. So let's go ahead and pray. As we get started, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your great love, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you would give me the words to speak this morning, Father. As we look at a at a uh, often talked about topic, topic, I just pray that you would uh, help me to make it clear, to make it understandable, Father. I pray that every single one of us would have our hearts open and ready to receive what you have for us, and Father, I thank you that we would be blessed by this message this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to talk about who is the author of sickness. And kind of as a, as a precursor to this whole thing, I want you guys to know that, that we believe in the supernatural at this church. We serve a supernatural God, and he does supernatural things. He is a miracle worker. And we believe... there is no sickness, there is no uh, anything going on in someone's body that is too big that God can't heal, that God can't deal with. Even when doctors say it's impossible, I want to tell you, church, that it is possible with God, because just because it's impossible for man doesn't mean it's impossible for God. And we also believe that this shouldn't be an occasional or rare thing. But this should be part of the everyday life of a believer. The truth is is we 're going to we 're going to look at it over the course of the next few weeks, not so much today, but the truth is is the healing was purchased for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. He gave his life freely and paid the debt of all that and we 're going to see a little bit today where sickness comes from so It's actually the result of the fall. Death and sickness is the result of what of what Adam did, the enemy coming in. And that is all cleared up by Jesus because he paid for it. He takes care of it. And the reality is, is that, that this isn't just some like, warm and fuzzy feeling that I have. It's not something like, well, he's a good God, so he probably wants you healed. This isn't something that I'm pulling out of thin air. It's not just something I've decided to believe with no evidence. And it's certainly not blind faith. Oftentimes, Christians are accused of blind faith. And, uh, and, and they, just, they, say, they say you shouldn't have blind faith. And I agree with them. I think blind faith is stupid. But we don't have blind faith. We have all the evidence in the world. Our faith is placed in something that is solid, that is real. And over the next four weeks, we're going to really dig into what the Bible does, like I said, has to say about healing. Today, we're going to look at who is the author of sickness? Who created sickness? Where does it come from? Why do we have it? We're going to look at why there's actually sickness in our life. Next week, we're going to look at God's promises regarding healing for you. You know, there's tons of promises in the Bible that says that healing is for you, that healing is promised. But then we're going to look a little bit deeper into that because oftentimes we read these promises that God has and we begin to question ourselves and say, I'm not worthy of these things or God doesn't really want that for me. So the third week we're going to talk about the reality that God actually wants you healed. He wants you to be whole. And then finally... The last week we're going to look at what is our responsibility in all of this. Because the truth is, as believers, we have a responsibility in it as well. But today, like I said, I really want to talk about who is the author of sickness. Where does it come from? I want you to know and understand when you leave here that without a doubt, God is not the one who created sickness. He's not the one who uses sickness. He doesn't use it to punish you. He doesn't use it to try to teach you a lesson. He doesn't use it to try to direct your path or guide you. God does not use sickness. There is one who is responsible for sickness in this world, though, and that's the devil. And that's what it boils down to. That's the reality of it. And there's so many people I've heard so many times, and it's why I wanted to start with this and deal with this, because I've heard so many times that, that, no, this is happening to me because God's trying to teach me a lesson. Or this is happening to me because I actually heard once uh, uh, there was said about a pastor's wife, and she was struggling with, with acne, and somebody went up to the pastor and told him, you know, your wife's struggling with that because there's sin in her life. And it just blew my mind. God is not going to cause you sickness or physical harm or pain to try to to to, to deal with sin in your life. And to even think that is actually kind of crazy. You want to know why? Because if God is using stuff like that to take care of the sin in your life, that means that Jesus wasn't enough. And if Jesus wasn't enough, there's no point for us to be here today. Might as well live for what we can because there's no way out. But Jesus paid for it all. And if Jesus paid for it all, God's not going to ask you to put in the tip. Let's go ahead and get started with the first verse today. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, it says this, when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him first thing that we need to understand when we're beginning to look where sickness comes from is, is how are we made? And we are made in the image of God, the image of the living God. And when it says there, when he's talking, it says, let us make man in our image in our likeness. We begin to see the first reference of the Holy Trinity in the Bible, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not some weird reference to angels, Saying that God was saying maybe let's let's make man in the image of of uh, of God and the angels. That's why he's saying us because there's there's a big problem with that is because we're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. The other big problem with that is is that angels aren't made in the image of God. So we can't talk about being made in, about angels because we're not made in in their image. But the truth is is that there is one God and that there are three persons in the Godhead. And this is a difficult thing to understand. And uh, the truth is, is, is a lot of this you have to take on faith because how can it be one but also be three? And I, don't, I actually don't think this is necessarily supposed to be easy to understand. One day we'll understand it. But we do know this. There is one God, and he exists in three persons. And it's not some, like, shape-shifting we blew wobbly like he's Jesus one time and then God and next and then the Holy Spirit. They, he's all three, three at the same time, but one God. And we are made in his image. If you ever wonder why we're, so, we're relational beings, it's because we're made in his image and God is a relational God. Even though he existed before creation, before everything, he was still a relational God. This is why the evidence in the New Testament clearly testifies to Jesus being God and why they killed him, because Jesus was God. This is also why when Jesus said that he would send another, the helper in John uh, 14, 16, according to the Bible exposition commentary, the Greek word translated to another actually is more accurately translated to another of the same kind. Uh, uh, The exact same thing, because the Holy Spirit is also God. So now you're wondering, like, well, this doesn't seem like it has anything to do with healing. Why are you talking about this? The reason is is because to understand where sickness comes from and how it got into our lives, we need to understand how we were made. And we need to recognize that we are made in the image of God, not the image of angels, not the image of some other thing. We were made off the blueprint of God. So that means that as humans, like I've said before, it doesn't mean that we look alike. It doesn't mean that we have the same nose or the same eyes. It means that we actually share though imperfectly and finitely, in God's nature, in who he is. Who he is is who we are. We're made in that image to look like him. And that is his his communicable attributes, his his life, his personality, truth, wisdom, love, holiness, righteousness, justice. We were made in that image. Sorry, I'm going to shut this off because for some reason the heater just stops working every now and then and blows out cold air. So we'll just leave that one on, and hopefully, no one gets too cold. Hallelujah. Where was I at? Oh, saying we we're made in, in, in God's image, and we share in those attributes that is His. Like I said, righteousness, holiness. We are made to look like Him, and not in physical appearance, but in our nature, we are just like Him. And it is actually what Adam lost when he sinned. When Adam was created, that's exactly how he was created. And when he ate from the fruit of the, or the, the tree of life, or not the tree of life, the tree of good and evil, the, when he ate from that, that fruit, he, that's what he lost, was that image of God that he was. I also want to point out that if we are made in God's image, then the other op- option is, is that God made a mistake in us that somehow when he put a little bit of this in and a little bit of that, he messed up the formula and we came out all messed up. But that's, that's not actually the case. We're going to look at that in the next verses we look at, but God didn't make a mistake with us. We are exactly how he wanted us to be, like him, made in his image. How many here thinks that God's rampant with sickness? That he is infested with disease? The truth is, is he's not. He's perfect. There is no sickness or disease or any of those things in God. And if we were made to look like him, to have his nature, then why would we be made to have sickness or disease? It wouldn't naturally be part of our being as well because we were made to be like him. Sickness was never part of God's plan for our life. We're just not designed for it. And the truth is, is we can tell that because what does sickness do in our body? It's perfect purpose is to wreck, to kill, destroy. Sounds like somebody else's purpose. It's there to do harm, not make us better. When you look at the story of when man was created in Genesis one twenty-eight through 31, it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God said, "Everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good." And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. You know, this is how I know that we were made correctly. When God was done, He took a look at all of His creation, including us, and He didn't say, eh, "It's all right." You know, it's it's pretty good for a prototype for a, a first shot. No, he said, this is good. But not only did he say it was good, he said, this was very good. That means it was created without flaw. Man, when he was created, was not broken, nor was he susceptible to sickness or death or disease. Because you know what isn't good? sickness, and death, and disease. I don't think God would have looked at all all this sickness and death and went, this is nice. I like it. And on top of that, even if it were part of the plan, and I think uh, we've demonstrated that it wasn't, but say, for argument's sake, that sickness was part of the plan, it was always supposed to be there. Why would we let it thrive? Because this is what the Scripture says. God told Adam... Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. If we were to subdue it and have dominion over it, and sickness started wrang its ugly head, why would we let it go? We have been given all authority over everything on earth, particularly as Adam, he was given all authority, second only to God. And he could have ended sickness by speaking to it. Because that's how God called things into existence and out of existence by speaking to it. And Adam was made in the nature of the living God. He had the same nature inside of him. He could have just ended it. Why would they have not gotten rid of it if it was there? Because it wasn't. It wasn't part of the original plan. Sickness was never part of what God wanted for us. You know, it's interesting if you read this creation account On all the other days when God was creating stuff, he did it and he said it was good. And then he did something and it it was good. But on the sixth day when he created man, he doesn't say it is good. He said, and behold, it was very good. We were made. Perfectly without sickness, without disease. So. The question that we have to ask then, if this is the case, if we were made without this, where did it come from? Because no one's going to argue that there's not sickness and disease right now. So where did it come from? Where did it all begin? If we look at Genesis 2, 15 through 17, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know, before the fall, there was no sin. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was none of that. But then in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, we hear the story that says, Now the serpent was very crafty, more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden, and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You will not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is the one that started this whole thing. It wasn't until after the fall that, that death comes because when we when he ate from the when Adam ate from the tree, it's when death comes. That's why God said, You shall surely die. That's when it all begins. And the the greatest tactic that the enemy ever uses is deception and questioning your identity, questioning who you are. Did you know he even does that when you get sick? How many of you guys have have convinced yourself that God doesn't actually have time to deal with what you're going through, or God doesn't want to to deal with such a small thing, or how many people have convinced themselves that what is going on in their lives is actually God's plan. This drives me crazy more than anything. When I hear people praying for somebody for healing, and they say, God, if it's your will, heal this person. That's a dumb thing to say. Of course, it's his will to heal that person. There's no question about it. We actually do that, so that way if it doesn't happen, if we don't have the faith to believe that God will do what he said he's going to do and it doesn't happen, we have a way out. Oh, it must have been God who didn't want to do it. The truth is, it's God's will for you to be whole. So we don't have to say, if it's your will, God, we just declare it. And we'll talk about this more. I'm getting ahead of myself. but You just, you just declare it by your stripes, I am whole. It's not a question. Scripture says if we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. It doesn't say they might. Could be, probably, if if God feels like it that day. These things are a, a done deal. But even after Adam screwed up. You notice I don't mention Eve much. A lot of a lot of guys like to blame the whole thing on Eve. If you actually read the scripture. Eve may have played her part, but it wasn't until Adam ate from the fruit that the fall actually happened. It's carried on through him. But even after he screwed up, God's mercy and God's love is still so evident because he actually kicks him out of the garden. See, that doesn't sound like love. Genesis 3.22 says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. They kick him out of the garden because God didn't want us to remain in that state. And what seemed like a, a terrible, petty thing for God to do because Adam made a mistake was actually the very thing that allows him to give us life again in Jesus. And I, every time I read this verse, I'm always surprised because to, to, I recognize something. he said, the Lord said, God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. That means that we were never supposed to even know about evil, let alone experience it in our lives. Not only were we made to live without sickness and death, we were supposed to be completely innocent even of the knowledge of what this stuff happens. We were never intended to even have the knowledge of this stuff, let alone be entangled in it as we are right now. But I want you to know the questions we can keep asking because this sounds pretty good. It's starting to make sense, but is there any more evidence? I'm glad you asked because there's a lot. In Revelation 21.4, it says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You know, in heaven, there's no sickness. There's no pain. There's no death. There's no sorrow. If sickness was actually a part of God's plan, wouldn't it be in heaven? If it was his will that we experience this, wouldn't it be in the end game? There's a story I, I read once about a, a sports fan. He was a tremendous sports fan, and he said this. He said, since many sporting events take place when I am not at home, I videotaped them. Apparently this happened some time ago. <laughs> When it's time to sit in my easy chair and view the tape, unlike most, I don't rewind to the beginning to view it. Instead, I rewind to the climax to discover who won and who lost. If my team lost, I just put the tape away. But if my team won, I rewind the game back to the beginning, get out some snacks, and I watch the whole game. So some have told me this method can't be much fun. But on the contrary, no matter how bad things look for my team, I don't have to worry because I know the end of the story thing is, that's how we ought to look at our lives in response to what Jesus did on the cross. Have that, that VCR mentality, the DVR these days. Have that mentality that we know how the story ends. So it doesn't really matter too much how it is in the middle because we know how it's going to end up. That's why I once had a Jehovah's Witness come up to my door. They were knocking on the door and they, they wanted to show me the, the book of Revelation. And I said, no, no, it's okay. I've already read that book. I know how it ends. We win. That's just the fact. If you can adjust how you think about things, instead of thinking how terrible the stuff that is going on, all the stuff that's going on in your life, whether it be sickness or disease or or relational issues, any of those things, put your faith in God and know how the story ends up. That's the thing. When I'm looking at this, I know how it started. It started where there was no sickness. There was no death. When God created man, there was none of that. And I know how it ends. In heaven, every tear is wiped away. Death is no more. There's no mourning, no crying, no pain. If it's God's will that that we be whole and without sickness in the beginning, And we know that it's God's will that there is no sickness and we be whole in the end. We also know that God does not change his mind in him. There is no shifting shadows. So it's not God's will in the middle for us to have this either. Because he doesn't change. If it was his will, it'd be demonstrated in creation and in the end of times. But the thing is. Like I said, there's no denying that there is sickness. And it did come from somewhere. So let's begin to take a look about that. Luke 13, 10 through 13 we, we learn that sickness can actually be caused by a spirit. It says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and cannot fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Like I said, sickness has got to come from somewhere. And in this particular case, the sickness that she had, the, the being doubled over, she couldn't stand up. It was associated with a, with a spirit, with an evil spirit. Now, I'm not going to stand here this morning and tell you that every sickness is caused by a demon or, or a spirit inside of you because that's just not the case. We live in a fallen world with fallen stuff in it, which is why when when people get hit by hurricanes or floods or earthquakes, I don't think it's God uh, enacting judgment on them because we live in a fallen world that's falling apart because of the fall. And the same thing is there's sickness and disease running rampant in this world because the world has fallen. It's falling apart. But no matter whether a spirit uh, causes it to happen or it's just because we live in a fallen world, the truth is it's always a tool of the devil, not God. It's always a tool of the enemy to try to, to get you to do what he wants you to do. If you think about this story, this, this young lady, she's not probably not young, but she's, she's, she's bent over. She could never raise her eyes to heaven. The, this, the, the devil had done something to her where she couldn't even look at God. And the truth is, is this is actually so common for people that are sick. They have something debilitating going on with them. They have a problem. They have an issue, and they let it keep them from looking to God, the one who actually wants them to be whole. And they'll either begin ignoring God or blaming God, when really they should be running towards God. The thing is, is that Jesus called out to this woman. It says Jesus saw her and he called her over. The truth is, is Jesus is calling out to every single one of us. He wants to free us from whatever has us in bondage. And the focus of this series is healing, but it's not just healing. Everything that is going on and that that is causing an issue, he's calling out to you because he wants to free you from that sickness, addiction, disease, anything that is coming against you. He wants to free you because you were designed to be free. If you continue reading the story, verses 14 through 16, it says, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. What a, what a way to think. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does each of you, not, each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? You see, the devil is going to impact people's lives. He wants them to be drawn away. He wants them to put their eyes down. And this isn't the only time that we see this conclusion drawn where sickness is actually the direct handiwork of the devil or his minions. In Acts 10, 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. It says he was healing those who were oppressed by the devil. And then we have these people that are so caught up in religiosity they couldn't even see that a good thing was happening that she was being set free because it violated their tradition. Because that's what had happened is they had let the tradition of man supplant the word and commands of God. It's just like when the man with the withered hand came in it was another Sabbath and he wanted to be healed and Jesus asked him so is it lawful for me to heal this man? And once again they freaked out. Because religion is always accusing. But Jesus just loves. And he's not concerned with your tradition or what's going on, he's concerned with making you whole. And the funny thing is, is we read this stuff and we're like, oh, those people, how could they do that? How could they think like that all the while, forgetting that we do it all the time? We see somebody sick just like I talked earlier about the, the story of the pastor's wife who was struggling with something and, oh, it must be sin in her life. How many times have we looked at somebody that's struggling in the area and go, I wonder, what's, wonder what they're doing behind closed doors. wonder what they got going on. We instantly begin to judge. It's funny because it's such an absurd thought if you really sit back and think about it. And the truth is is, is that sometimes we do. I know I do it Sometimes. But it's okay because the scripture says take every thought captive. I don't let it run loose. I grab it back when I realize how dumb the thought is. Because it's an absurd thought. Because how many of you with children are like, you know what? I can't believe they didn't clean their room. Maybe some cancer will teach them a lesson. Maybe next time they'll clean their room. That's the absurdity that we think with when we think God is trying to teach us a lesson or, or punish us with sickness. It's like, you ever watch those movies where you have the good guy who does something bad to make the good guys do something good? You know what I'm talking about? Where the, it turns out the whole plot of the movie was like, no, he was actually a good guy, but, but the United States government wasn't rising to the challenge because they didn't think it was a threat, so he created the threat so that they would rise. That's, 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 that's what we think God is doing to get us to move. But the thing is, here's what Jesus says about that kind of thinking. In twelve twenty-two through 28, it says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, for so the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will the kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Once again, they begin to, to question Jesus' identity. But he says, well, let's use some common sense. Let's Think this through. That's what I love about the Bible because the truth is it really is if you just look at it and read it and get rid of your preconceived notions and get rid of all the relig- religious junk you've packed in your head as you've tried to learn who God is based on who they say He is on TV or in books or maybe even what your parents said or other... it's Just actually read it. It's written so that we can understand it. The Bible is not there to try to trick you. And he says, well, let's use some common sense, guys. If I was... Casting out demons by the power of of demons, wouldn't I kind of be working against myself? Because the truth is any kingdom that fights against itself falls. Probably one of my biggest fears about the United States right now is we're so busy fighting ourselves, things are collapsing around us. But I also think this is more proof that God doesn't use sickness to try to direct or guide us because if he made you sick and then he healed you, he would be fighting against himself. God's not dumb. He's not going to work against himself. The truth is, is we're not disciplined with sickness. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. One John four seventeen says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have come have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, as he is, so also are we in this world. The reason why God doesn't punish us with sickness is because we're already right with him. We're right with him because of his son. And if we're right with him because of his son, that means that He doesn't have to punish us. And if he has to punish us, that means his son wasn't enough. And like I said, if his son wasn't enough, we can pack up and go home now because there's no point. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ made us holy and without blame. That's why Paul could say with a clear conscience, he has a clear conscience. It's not because Paul never made a mistake. When you look at Paul's life, he's got plenty of literal blood on his hands, but he said, I have a clear conscience. Is it because he thought that what he was doing was for God? No, because Jesus paid for even that. Christ was without sin. He was righteous. He was holy. And as he is, so also are we in this world. We can have confidence. But then some of you who are know the Bible pretty well or maybe are a little bit clever. Are starting to ask about those. Well, what about those times in the Bible where it makes it look pretty clear that God is the one that caused sickness, and particularly in the New Testament? So let's take a look at those. John nine one through five says, as he has passed. This is probably the big one. This is the uh, the guy who was born blind, and it says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming, and when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, if you read this and take it the way it is, it looks like that my case is completely blown out of the water. It says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but he was blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The implication is that, that God made him blind just so he could heal him later. And that's how it reads. And I wouldn't fault anybody for reading that and thinking that, but the problem that I have with that is, is it's in contradiction to every other scripture that talks about this anywhere else. And anytime I start reading one verse that contradicts everything else in the Bible, I start to ask myself, what are we getting wrong? Why would there just be one that contradicts it? So let me ask you guys this. Did you guys know that the original Greek New Testament didn't have any punctuation in it. No punctuation. English teachers' nightmare. Well, Greek, Greek teachers' nightmares. Like the whole thing is a run-on sentence. No punctuation. Also, if you didn't know, there was no verse numbers and chapters either. That's also something that we added later when the Bible was translated to make it easier for us to find stuff. So let me ask you this, if we, if we think that there's no punctuation and potentially that maybe we got something wrong, what if we, we change the punctuation a little bit so it looked like this? As he passed by, he saw a man blind. You guys didn't see the changes, did you? They were, they were subtle. As he passed by, he saw a man blind. Let me make sure this is the right one. It is subtle. Yeah, it is, okay. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, period. Let's put a period. So like the first one says, it was not this man or his parents, comma. It was not this man or his parents, period. But that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man will work. Just changing that to a period and changing this period to a comma, it changes the complete meaning. And these, this punctuation wasn't there in the first place. And now we have a scripture that we can understand that doesn't violate the, the precepts of every other scripture that deal with healing, but actually matches what was going on. And I believe this is how this, this scripture should be read. Because he wasn't what he was saying is it wasn't this man's sin or his parents he lives in a broken world a fallen world sometimes this stuff happens we deal with stuff just because we're in this world and unfortunately this man was born blind but the good news is is it wasn't god's will for him to be there so jesus healed this man and in doing so he demonstrated the power and the will of god what about Paul? Here's the other big one that I, that I hear all the time about Paul's thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Many people argue that what Paul was talking about, this thorn in the flesh, was actually some sort of sickness that he had. And matter of fact, many people believe that it was some sort of eye sickness. And where they get that from is this scripture right here in Galatians 4.15. He says, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me, so people have associated the two and said that Paul is has got some sort of eye sickness because of what he said here. So let's go back and, and straighten some things out here about what Paul is, is actually talking about. I believe that verse ten actually begins to talk about what Paul was talking about—the thorn in his flesh. Because he says, if we look at the the scripture to interpret scripture, it says, for the sake of Christ, and I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. Another side note, the song that they say, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so he is, uh, what does it say? Uh, I am weak, but he is strong. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's a misquoting of scripture. And the reason that is, is because when you have a weakness, you tend to lean on God who emboldens you and strengthens you to accomplish what you could never do on your own. The stuff that we can do on our own is the stuff that gets us in all kinds of mess because we think we can do without God and we get prideful. But he says, I'm content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions. He's talking about people. People are the thorn in his side. And if you don't believe me, like I said, let's go ahead and take scripture to interpret scripture. If we keep going, one, we talk about here. I do want to talk about this. I would have gouged out my eyes. So we use that expression even today. It's like saying I'd give you a kidney or my left arm. Chances are I'm not going to rip off my arm and give it to you. And I didn't say it because your arm is hurt. You know, if someone's going through a hard time that has nothing to do about their arms, like you know what, I'd, I'd cut off my arm if it could make it better for you. It's an expression that we use. We sometimes forget that these are people just like we are. They have, exp- they have all of these things. They think the same way that we think. But if we go on to talk about that thorn in the flesh, let's read a few scriptures that also use the expression a thorn in the flesh. Numbers thirty-three fifty-five says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. What's going to be the thorn in their side? The inhabitants, the people. Joshua 23:13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good ground the Lord your God has given you. So what is the thorn in his eyes and the, the, the whip in the flesh? Nations. It's people. Judges 2, 3. So now I say I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their God shall be a snare to you. Once again, he's talking about people. Now, you may not believe this, but Paul read the Old Testament. He was pretty knowledgeable in it. These are expressions that he would have heard. And every time in the Bible that talks about a thorn in the side, it's talking about people. And then we see here, uh, I've been too far. He says that there are a thorn in my side, and he begins to talk about persecution and insult. He's talking about people. It's not a sickness that he has. God didn't say I'm giving you a sickness. Deal with it because I'm good enough for you. He gives us people to do that. (laughs) You all are laughing because you know it's true. You got people in your life (laughs) that you're like, Lord. See, the thing is, is that sickness does come from somewhere and it does come from someone and it's not God. In John 10, 10, it says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Sickness and disease are the work of the devil. If it causes pain, if it causes sickness, disease, malcontent, dissatisfaction, any other negative word you want to put in, it's from the devil. But a rich and satisfying life was Jesus' purpose so that we could have that. If you are afflicted, you're not living a rich and satisfying life, which is not what God intended for you. You're being robbed of your joy and your peace and your health because there is an enemy that's prowling around like a roaring lion, and he wants to kill you. He wants to hurt you, and he will use every bad tool in the book to get you to do what he wants you to do, which is ultimately turn away from God. So if when stuff is going bad in your life and you begin to run away from God, you begin to push God away, you begin to get angry at God, you're not somehow squaring up to God. The enemy is just manipulating you to do exactly what he wants you to do because the devil knows that he can't get back into heaven. He's already lost. The best he can do is bring people down to suffer with him. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. How many good gifts and perfect gifts? Everyone. So if it's a good gift or a perfect gift, where does it come from? It comes from God. And it says that there is no variation or sh- God doesn't change. We saw in the beginning that there was no sickness and we see in the end when he rebuilds heaven and earth, there's no sickness. And if there is no sickness in the end and no sickness in the beginning and God doesn't change and he never intended us to have sickness right now. James or one John one five says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Darkness runs from the light. That's why there's no dark light. There's only a flat. Well, they call the dark light, but it's not the. Uh, there's there's nothing that that beams darkness. Darkness is simply the absence of light. That's why darkness has to run from light. I love the the descriptions the Bible uses because especially. They make so much sense as we've gotten even more and more knowledge of of physics and we recognize there's no such thing as darkness, actually. There's only an absence of light because darkness always has to run from. You turn on a flashlight, the darkness doesn't fight back. It gets out the way. And there's a light inside of every single one of you if you were born again. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a light inside of you that will shine on and and push away every darkness that's coming against you if you will stand in faith that God is who He says He is and He will do what He said He was going to do. Church sickness isn't from God. It is strictly from the enemy. Amen? Well, I hope you... I got something out of this this morning. Next week, we're going to continue on going to talk about the different aspects of healing in the Bible, but just know if you're struggling with anything right now, it's not God doing it to you. There's an enemy out there that's wanting to hurt you and kill you, and it's time to make a stand and believe God, believe what his word says about it, and start fighting back. Turn on the light, and the darkness has to flee. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.